So we attended a Q&A, that's a question and answer session with Michael W. Smith, myself, lots of just normal people and some media people as well. So we got very interesting, juicy stuff out of the man. It was held the Friday. He was here the Thursday and the Friday. And the previous evening, he'd been ministering, but he'd also been telling some stories. So I thought, let's kick off with one that he told that evening about what happened in 2019. Well, first of all, it's, it's, it really is great to be back, and it, it's, we've traveled all around the world. This is my fourth continent, the Waymaker World Tour, and I can't think of a better place to end than South Africa. So, um, But what he was relating to was four years ago, I was, uh, we all went to the airport and, and getting ready to come on the plane, and then, uh, long story short, this lady at the Delta desk said, you're not getting on this plane because they will not receive you because you don't have a... You don't have a blank page on your passport. I've never heard anything like that before. And I just was just bewildered by the whole thing. And so I would normally be a little upset, but I didn't get upset. I just thought, well, God, you must be up to something. And so while my whole team got on the plane, I am spending the night to see if I can get another passport in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I walk outside. They have a hotel for me. It's seven minutes away. And I get into an Uber car with a guy named Reuben, and he wants to know what I do. Well, I'm a singer, and I'm supposed to be on a plane to South Africa, but I'm not on the plane to South Africa. And, and so we just began to talk, and he wanted to hear my story. He said, well, I went to church camp, and but he really probed me, and I was talking about I, I had this radical encounter with Jesus Christ changed my life. So we're 30 seconds from the hotel, and he stops the car, and he says, I got 30 seconds left with you before I drop you off. Would you please explain to me what a radical encounter with Jesus Christ is? So he, he creeped and went really slow up, the, up to the hotel, and I told him in 30 seconds what it was. And he stopped, and he said, well, I had a pastor in my car two days ago. I got you in my car today. I think God is trying to speak to me. And, uh, y'all, dear you just thinking about it. And, uh, I said, Reuben, I will pray for you. And I don't believe, I believe God's in all the details, and I believe we were supposed to meet. And I got out of the car, and I walked into the lobby. I went, that's why I missed my flight. That's why I'm not on my way to South Africa. So you just learn to embrace things that sometimes feel uncomfortable. And, oh, my gosh, that's not my plan. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And am I, am I even going to get to South Africa? So, And then the next day, and just, oh, it was just a fiasco. I mean, I, it was crazy stuff. And I've, I know lots of people watched in DC, you know, powerful people, and I still couldn't get a passport, but I barely got it at the end. And I, you know, and I, I got here, I kind of arranged my sleep schedule on the plane. And, and then I had a police escort, I think, and I just pulled up here, I jumped in the shower and I walked on stage and here I am. So that's what happened four <laughs> years ago. So, but, but, but it was all for Ruben, you know, it was all just for, for that, for that guy. So. So, Michael, your why. People say you must know the why. Why do you do what you do? And has your why changed over the years? Well, the why is, is I've been called. You know, first you have, a, you have a transformation. You find out that Jesus really is who he said he was, and it, and it changes you. And, and then you start to really understand that you can't earn it and all that. And you go through all that kind of stuff, and you learn really... As my friend Brennan Manning would say, not, God, Abba not only loves you, but he actually likes you. 
And not only does he like you, he's extremely fond of you, and he just wants to be your papa. You know, so you, when you, when that thing gets embedded in you, it just completely changes everything, the way you see the world. So when you do that, whether you're a musician or a writer, you just want to hit in your sweet spot. We're all gifted to do something, and I think we're all gifted to expand the kingdom of God through whatever gifts that we have. So the why is I'm called. I can either say yes or I can say no. Why would I say, why would I say no? So let's talk about your family, Michael. Um, Michael, by the way, has got five children and 17 grandchildren. He's Opa, granddad, Michael W. Smith. But Michael, we always wonder, how do you balance this stuff? Family, maybe you've got some spiritual principles in place to get this thing right. I, we knew when, the, when it started to really become successful and I was out with Amy Grant and, and places were full and, you know, you're trying to keep it all in perspective. Um, I remember Debbie and I sit down talking and going, you know, there's, if you look at statistics, there, there's a better chance of us being a casualty than not. And we're going to just anchor down and say we're not going to be a casualty. And so we just set up parameters I was never away from my family for more than two weeks, ever. Um, and that didn't really happen that often, honestly. And then I would fly home a lot. I would do shows for 13 years. I would walk off a stage in America and land at midnight and drive my kids to school the next day. You know, So whatever we had to do to protect our family and our kids. And then I married way over my head. She's... Uh, We've been married 41 and a half years, and, and she's this five-foot-three little thing, you know, and she's just a godly, godly woman, you know. I wake up, I'm the, I, I get up last, if she gets up early, and I, every time I walk in the kitchen, she's just, she's just in the Word. She's sitting over there just studying the Word every single morning, you know, and then going, dang it, man, I got to get my act together, because <laughs> she, she, she kind of help, helps me raise my... A game, what, what, whatever A game I have, but she, but she, she has been, she's been the wind at my back the, the entire way because she believed in the calling on my life, and she still does to this day, probably even more than ever. So you are in South Africa, and we're wondering how you choose the songs for a tour. Are you led by the Holy Spirit only, or is there another process in play? Well, you hope it's spirit led. I mean, I think my dilemma is is I'm not the new kid on the block and there's only 300 songs to pick from, you know? And so, and, and you're okay. trying to, and you're trying to make everybody happy. And cause everybody, there's people coming tonight going, Oh my gosh, he's going to sing my favorite song. Well, maybe, maybe not. And so it's just, and you know, it's not, you know, I was leading, I led worship for 19 years at my church before I ever did a quote unquote vertical record. I was doing Place in Swirled and Go Bush Young Man and For You and all those pop songs, but I was a worship leader in my church. So, so I think I love singing some of those older songs because a lot of those older songs can radically change people's lives. You know, songs like Place in This World, you know. And so I've, I feel led to sing those songs as well. So I think we've, it's trying to find a balance of how do you, sort of pull people in, change the atmosphere, and sort of get everybody engaged. And then you somehow, t you take people on a little bit of a journey, you know, and then then it sort of 
becomes pretty vertical, which is awesome, you know. Um, I mean, I wouldn't do that at my church, but, but for me as an artist, yeah. We, matter of fact, I just did a 10 day run in American and I'd never done this before. I did, uh, we did, there were 42 songs on the set list. And we did lots of medleys, but we just wanted to try to cover as much ground as we could. So obviously I can't do that here, but there are a lot of songs on the set list. And it, and I change it. I'm an ebb and flow guy. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, all my team, they all run when I say I've got a wild idea because, because I just will just go, we're going to change the show tonight. And I, and I, that's what I, for tonight, tonight show is different than last night. Because there were a lot of 30 year old songs last night, by the way. So we're wondering, uh, do you become more nostalgic the longer you make the music? Maybe a little. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't. All this stuff in terms of success, I hold it lightly. You know, you just, even if you don't sing your, fa your favorite song, well, well, who cares? You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's, it's just being in the moment. God, what are you doing? It's like last night, I was just, I was so moved. I was, I think I cried like four times. I, you know, I got, and I just, I just randomly went into the goodness of God. That wasn't even on the set list, you know. Next question. How do you manage the limelight and fame and still stay honest and humble before God? Well, as you get older and wiser, hopefully you learn that it's not about you. It's not about you. It's just not. And, and I learned too that, and I've learned the hard way because I remember back in the day going, how many records do we sell? Did it go gold? All that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter, you know, but so then you realize, and I watch these people in this never ending cycle of people who, who are not believers, you know, if you sell a million, then the next time you have to sell two. If you sell two million, then you have to sell five. It's never enough. And you learn that there's only one person that can fill the void, and that's Jesus, you know. So, um, the whole fame thing, I've got a great, I'm in a prayer group that's been together for 35 years. And so, I think if I got the big head and thought I was some big rock star, I think they would come up and slap me around, you know. <laughs> So, dude, pull it together. They anchor you as well. Yes, no. and I think I think we all need that. And I think we all need a tribe. We all need a hmm. people that we walk life with. And because if you walk it alone, you will go down. Can you tell us about your responsibilities and your involvement in your local church community? Yeah, we started a church, which is I could write a book about that, man. Um, but I learned a lot about pastoring a church, which I kind of did for two years. Right now, we are actively involved in our son-in-law's church. He planted a church. Um, so we're just trying to help him. You know, I'm there half the time because I'm in places like here, you know. Um, it's a small church and I lead from time to time. So, but yeah, I'm, we're excited about that. But it is a, I love a small church for some reason. Um, seems to be a little better at community, but big churches do it well, but. I'm grateful for, for what's going on with Jack. You know, from an outsider's perspective, it's, oh my word, Michael W. Smith is the worship leader at that congregation. I'm sure people come there and they're all wowed by the fact that you're the worship leader, but the members there, they know you well. And even yourself, you're just Michael, aren't you? Yeah, you, but you still get people showing up. And so, 
we've had a few little uncomfortable situations and, yeah. um, and I think that's the hard, that's been the hard thing. If you, you, you really didn't start off being like Bethel or being Matt Redmond, you had this whole pop thing and now you're this worship leader at this church, you know, so I can't do anything about that. I just have to do what I need to do. And what I need to do is diffuse that. And you diffuse it. it um, every day, I, or, you know, whether it's leading worship or tonight, what's my posture? And humility. So God wants my posture and humility. So I remember like three, four times at the church, when I was leading worship back in the day, we turned every, we turned everything around and we faced the screen so people wouldn't look at me. Which I really loved that. I thought that was awesome. So, um, but yeah, they, and, and people were looking for authenticity too. They can, people can see it if it's not real. So as a worship leader, your goal is to change the atmosphere where people can meet God. It's your job. It's, it's not your job to be an entertainer, you know. But then I say all that when I, like tonight, it's like, well, what am I doing? Like my instrumental stuff, are they, I've never, I'm getting myself in trouble here. Um, I've, I've, I've always had the a hard, um, time with labels. Like you're a contemporary Christian artist. I don't really understand that really because I see the world from a Christian point of view. Loving my wife is worship. Loving on my kids is worship. You know, loving on the person at the grocery store. You know, you're being Jesus to people. That's worship, you know. And so I write all these cinematic instrumental stuff. Well, oh, is that not, is that not a Christian song? That's where it's a struggle for me. So I tend not to get into all the label kind of stuff. I just go, I'm a believer. I'm a Christ follower. And this is what I do. And I feel like every melody that I write, especially if they're good, you know, which is not always the case. I'm always thanking God. I'm just going, thank God, thank you. Thank you for another, another melody that I can share with the world. You've been a performer and a worship leader for many, many years, CDs, the whole industry thing. How do you stay in this so long without burnout? I take sabbaticals, which I think is really, really important for everybody in, in ministry. You gotta, you gotta go off. I don't know if that's to your closet. I mean, for me, it's my farm, which is really, really quiet, 200 acres land. I go to Colorado every year, a place in the mountains, and I go all by myself. And so I just think you've got to just, you can't go, 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 because you'll, you'll, you'll burn out, you know. So, And then I've got a mentor, which I think everybody needs a mentor, and he's been my mentor for 40 years, and he's 93 years old. And he's rocking. I mean, the dude is like killing it. You know, he's like, he's not lost. He's been to Israel three times already this year. And he's 93 years old. And his name is Don Finto. You can look him up. And he's changed my life, you know. So, yeah, mentor, mentors, uh, sabbaticals, pulled away, being quiet. And at this Q&A session, they then open the floor and anyone could ask a question. So I'm just going to line them up, people asking their own questions, and I thought we could learn from those answers as well. I want to ask you in short, just worship leaders, 
and the importance of leading worship. We know that. I think most of us understand that. If you had the opportunity to spend a day with young worship leaders, what conversations would you like to have with them to get their minds aligned with what they need to know now to lead worship to the church today? Yeah. Well, first of all, I've already said it. I would say it's not about you. And I'd probably start there. And why are you doing it? You know, um, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, I, I probably, I probably would like to be in the room and I could read the room. I can read people a little bit. I feel like it's one of the, maybe it's one of the very few gifts I have, discernment, but, but just try to, uh, yeah, your job, I said it already too, is your job is to change the atmosphere in the room where people can meet God. I mean, that's your job. Your job is not to entertain, and your job is not to give us the, this unbelievable light show. And, all, and again, I'm getting myself in trouble because there's nothing wrong with lights and sound. But, you know, ultimately as a worship leader, you, you, you want stuff to happen in the room that you can't explain, you know, like supernatural stuff, you know, because I think God still in the business of doing stuff like that it shows up you know and what is it about music i just it blows my mind i mean just this vehicle these melodies that captivate people's hearts i mean it's just gosh it just blows my mind and then i think the songs are i would probably get into the whole song thing which i have a i'm very opinionated about the songs because i think there are a lot of mediocre worship songs and we're supposed to be the best. If you look at art back in centuries past, who was making the best art? It was believers, you know. And so sometimes I think we settle for less, you know, if I'm talking to songwriters, then we need to we need to raise the bar when it comes to songs. You know? So um that was that would just be my start. I wanna know the circumstance, the event that was the biggest challenge between you and God? Uh, I might have a few of those. <laughs> um, I think probably when in 95 that I, ha- I went through a, a, a about a six month long depression period in my life. And I've really never been depressed in my life. And it kind of came out of nowhere. And I couldn't, and I, I kept thinking, what do I have to be depressed about? I got this amazing woman in my life, got these amazing kids. I got this amazing mentor, and I just went into a funk, and I couldn't get out. I just, so strange. Uh, I still don't know really why. Um, maybe it was just a test of my faith, to see if I would hang on or or cut loose and go try something else. But I just stayed, I just stayed on my knees and I was like, God, I just, I don't get it. So it was kind of one of those things going, it's like David so many times in the Psalms. We all think the Psalms are full of like, how much excuse your name in all the earth. I mean, there's a lot of heart cry from David. And I kind of felt like I was doing that. And then it was crazy. Six months later, it was about six months. I got up at three o'clock in the morning, which I never do. That's not a musician's hours. He loves to sleep right at night. 
I got in my car and went to my studio, and I started to write. It's called I'll Lead You Home. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and you, the lyric is kind of a, is a reflection of that period of time that I was going through. And I wrote the song, and I never went back. I, never, I, I just kind of snapped out of it. So a lot of, a lot of mystery. One day I'll, I'll find out, but so glad I came out of it. Michael, thank you. It's uh, good to have you, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to also share with us. I have, I'm going to take advantage of the, uh, the situation and ask two questions. First one is really easy. When you write new music, do you write the melody first or the lyrics first? I usually write the melody. Yeah, I'm not really good at the lyric thing. I mean, I have an idea. I always have to have someone come in. But almost, I'd say 95, 98% of the time, really, is melodies fall out of the sky. I just catch it. Thank you. Uh, The other question, you referred to your travels uh, four years ago, how you had challenges getting here and literally stepping on the, on the stage and leading, um, uh, you know, worship. Do you have any advice for those of us who are involved in worship, um, to, when, you know, life happens and, and there are challenges out there to make that switch or the, to when you step on the stage, when you lead, to, to leave everything else behind so that you are, you know, ready to, to worship. Do you have any advice of how you make that distinction or how you move from, you know, normal life events to taking that big responsibility of worship? Yeah, it's a challenge, isn't it? Just when you don't feel like it, you know, or you've had a few, a few fires to put out, you know. You know what? I just think you just have to go, God. I, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I remember I showed up at church to lead worship. This is back in the eighties. This is crazy, late eighties, early nineties, and I was so tired. I've been on the road, and I was exhausted, almost exhausted to the point of I was almost in tears. That's how tired I was, and I had committed to lead worship at Belmont Church. And I remember telling Don Fento, who was pastoring the church at that point, I said, Don, I just, I'm spent. I don't, I don't have anything. And Don laid hands on me, prayed for me. I didn't really feel much better, but what do you, he prayed for me. And Don will tell you to the day that that's, that was probably the top five worship moments he's ever been in his life. So when you're weak, he's strong, you know. It just kind of comes through, you know, and so you, you you might not feel like it, but God, you've got to take this because I'm not really capable of doing it. So you just need to show up and just be the wind at my back this morning. He's never failed me. He'll never fail you. Thank you, Michael, for sharing with us. You've been singing songs on a certain genre for a certain type of people over these many years. Here in Africa, the cultural musical expression from people from Somalia or Cameroon or Nigeria is vastly different. How would you inspire young musicians from around the continent of Africa to write music that is honoring God and also celebrates the culture across this wide continent? Well, I need to come here and live for a while, and I could probably answer that question. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess you could say it's a, maybe it's a little bit like that in America, but I know music is such a huge part of the culture here. And, um, I would probably, I'm, I'm saying this like I know what I'm talking about, but maybe I don't. But I, I have a feeling that I would love celebrating your culture here more than I would my culture in America. Um, cause it's pretty, it's kind of, a lot of it's dark. You know, and, and maybe you got the same deal here. But I think anybody who's a believer, you there's got to be some sort of intent on some level. If you're going to reach the people, then you have to sing or play something that they can identify with, that they like. And so it's finding that just beautiful marriage of writing a really great melody that merges with culture and becomes the song that people are going to sing for the rest of their lives. I mean, that's a dream as a songwriter. But more importantly, it's a song that that captivates the heart of God. That would be the ultimate. What's your favorite song you ever wrote? <sighs> What's my favorite song I ever wrote? Well, it might be Agnes Day. <laughs> That and a song called Place in This World. Is that a good answer? Okay. <laughs> so we attended Michael W. Smith's concert in Pretoria. That was at Moraletta Park. And uh, before that, there was a Q&A session. That was the Friday afternoon after the Thursday evening's performance. And then there was the Friday evening's one to come as well. So right there, that's where we recorded this. Lots of people attended and everyone wanted to ask him questions. And so we're going to go on with that question and answer session and see what juicy bits we can share with you. And my question to you is in terms of even last night at the concert, I was watching young people and they were dancing. My question is, in terms of remaining relevant and keeping up with changing times, how do you do that? Do you think about it? Is it uh, something that factors into your music? Or do you just kind of let the Holy Spirit lead you in what you do? Well, the answer is yes to both questions. I mean, I think you have to... I mean, obviously, the most important thing is just being spirit-driven, obviously. But I... I think you have to reinvent yourself. But reinventing yourself is staying true to who you are. Like, the world doesn't need another Bono. The world doesn't need another Michael Jackson. You know, and I remember we would all chase it and we'd hear all these songs on the radio back in the 80s going, oh man, we gotta write a song like, thriller, no, no, no. You know, you know, we get, get caught up in this trying to, you know, be popular or trying to, and probably, the intent was good because we're, we want to write infectious music that can captivate people's hearts and people come hearing music and then find out, oh my gosh, he's, that guy's singing about Jesus, you know. But th that was a disaster, you know, trying to chase a certain sound. So what I do is I work with a bunch of kids. When I say kids, I'm talking people in their 20s, you know, who are believers and, and, and um, are really good at their craft. I'm not saying I have to, you have to only work with kids, but I'm saying they've got their ear to the ground and they're smart. And I know a few of those people who got their heads on straight. The one guy's named Kyle Lee who produced Surrounded and did Awaken and, and half of a million lights as well. I mean, it's a really talented guy. So 
So I think there's that part of it. Um, and I think a lot of it comes to production too, a little bit, you know. I'll give you an example, the Waymaker song, you know, written by a lady in Nigeria. Um, when I heard that song, I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to, I got, I got to record that song because nobody in America had ever heard a Waymaker. I don't know how long it's been popular here. And so we did it on a live record. And then I did something I said I would never do is you cut a song and everybody wants to go, oh, if you put background vocals on, if you, if you do this, you know, it can get radio play. I'm not going to play that game. I'm, I've never done that. But I, it's the only time I've ever changed my mind because I knew something inside of me about Waymaker. It needed to be a single. And so I got Kyle to do the production and it's, it sounds great. I mean, just, but I'm not, that's not, I'm not saying about me. He's, he had the gift to just really make it radio friendly, which I hate that word, but just give it something where it might have some impact. And all of a sudden this thing is, and I'm not the only one who's cut the song either. I mean, Leland's cut it. A bunch of people have cut it, but my version was a big, big single in America. And, and, and then I, cause I think God's in all the details. I think honestly, I did it because I think it was a God thing, and here we have Waymaker in the middle of a pandemic. Who would have ever thunk it, you know? And people all around the world going, gosh, it's been my anchor song, it's been my anchor song, it's been my anchor song. And and I found out about the song by my daughter who was going through a really difficult time, who one day I walked in, and long story, she's, she's a single mother, which has been a pretty awful thing for us or husband left it's a crazy story one day i walk in and she said dad have you heard waymaker i said no never heard of it. she says it's my go-to song that's what she said to me and i said well if it's your go-to song i bet it could be my go-to song and so she played me a version from some pentecostal church in ohio in the states and right then i knew that i, I i'm going to record that song so i didn't mean to expound on your thing but i think I, th- I think a combination of going, God, what do you want me to write? What's what's in store? I'm just, I'm totally available to God. I'll, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And then surrounding yourself with young talent, I think, has a lot to do with being, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm convinced, how many people are coming? There's not a seat empty tonight. I'm convinced if I hadn't done some of that stuff, I'm not sure we'd have a full house. You know what I'm saying? I'm not even sure I'd be, be around. You know, so it's it's like, Reinventing, but staying true to who you are, I think that's the key. So sorry for the long answer. That was a good question. Good evening. Um, Michael, I think you have one of the most memorable voices that I can think of. And when I think of Go West, Young Man, and Surround, for example, your vocals still sound similar, and it's not a bad thing for me. Um, What do you do practically to keep your skills sort of up to par in the sense that bringing excellence unto the Lord, but also stewardship of what he has sort of blessed you with. Well, thank you. I, You're welcome. I really never felt like I had a really good voice, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I've been hanging out with Andre Bocelli. It's night and day. You know? <laughs> Different genres, so it doesn't um, count. <laughs> but maybe I have a dis- – everybody's got a distinctive voice. They all have something st- – you know what? I used to um, – I've lost my voice a few times and I never practiced. I never practiced ever my whole life. I've sang from my throat my whole life, which I'm very fortunate that I still have a voice. I changed all that three years ago. 
when I did lose my voice and had to cancel some shows, which is awful. Um, you never want to have to do that. And so I went and saw a vocal coach. And so I've been singing wrong my whole life. And so now I practice and I do some, try to do some stuff. And I'm, and I think the biggest thing for me is that I'm, I don't know why my voice hasn't changed. I, I certainly can't hit the notes that I used to hit. As you get older, it gets a little bit. My dad would always say, what, son, why do you write those songs so high? And I'd say, well, cause they sound great up there, dad. They sound great. Now I wish I would listen to him. Um, um, but it's amazing when you sing from your diaphragm. When you sing from this guy, you don't have to push. You don't have to, cause you think, you think like it's screaming, you know, blazing is where I was like, you don't have to do that, you know? You just use this guy and you don't sing hard and then you can, you can sing through two hours and still have it. So just a little bit of wisdom that helps you at all. So. At this Q&A session that we had with Michael W. Smith, there were two people that just had to share what his music had meant in their lives and how special it was for them to be there at these concerts and to meet him personally. And I thought, yeah, they did good not to share. Have a listen to this. Hello, Michael. Hey. Um, my name is David from Botswana. Um, we just drove um, 400 kilometers just to come and worship with you tonight. Wow. For me tonight is an answered prayer. It's been my prayer for the past 15 years that one day I want to worship with Michael W. Smith. 15 years ago, I was an on and off Christian. You know, still very young. You know, I'll go to church one Sunday. Next Saturday, you know, doing those, uh, still indulging in the, you know, those beverages. Then I got a chance to go to university and my pastor bought me a CD, a new hallelujah. And my life has never been the same since because I was excited. I was going to Rose University. Everybody knows Rose University. You know, students there go really wild. You know, you don't go there and, and start thinking about worshiping. You're just thinking about drinking. So I got that CD, went to Rose University. I was excited when I get to Rose, I'm going to drink my life away. But as soon as I played that CD, never even thought about drinking alcohol again. And I got born again to that CD up to this day. I'm still a believer and a true believer. Thank you so much. Uh, awesome. um, and tonight we're here to worship with Michael W. Smith. Thank you so much. Thank we're looking you. forward to it. Wow. Come on, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Um, Michael, um, I grew up in a pastor's home. And I say pastor's children are good at attending masquerades. Because we know how to put on the mask when we go to church. But inside we did. And at some stage, I ran away from God. And I tried the drinking. I tried everything. And one morning, at three o'clock, in a gutter in London, no one around me, drunk, I asked God for an answer. And the next moment, my phone started playing a random song called Agnes Day. Agnes Day. And in my situation, my state of mind, I went to the throne rooms of heaven. And I sat right at the feet of Jesus. I need to know from you, for a lot of years, I need to know from you, where were you, in what frame of mind, spiritually, that the Holy Spirit take you in 
to write a song like Hallelujah, Agnes Day. Wow. Bro, that's awesome. You need to write a book about that story. That's incredible. You know what? Oh, my gosh. Now I'm going to start crying. Uh, I was in my basement in my house working on a record called Go West Young Man. Go West Young Man. All these pop stuff, all these pop songs. And the record was about done. And there was, yeah, For You was on that record. Place in This World was on that record. And I just remember just going down and sitting on the piano and just playing that song without even thinking about it. And da, 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 da. and I just I closed my eyes and I'm crying and I'm going and I'm just it just came out of it fell out of the sky. And it didn't and I remember when I went, wow, what is that? I mean, I, the first thing I thought of was, I, I, I have to lead this at my church. But then I immediately thought, I've got to figure out a way to put this on the record. And it didn't fit everything else pop-wise. It's this vertical song, and I wanted to call it Agnes Day. And so we went in and cut a track, and I went to New York City, and I got a... I got the American Boy Choir to sing on it. So the original Agnes Day is from the Goa Showman record. A lot of people think that's a new song. It's not. And so it's been cut multiple times, so I don't know which version you heard, but that's, that's where it started. We had this young kid who was 12 years old with an angelic voice singing the verse Agnes Day. And so, and then, you know, I guess it really became really well known when the worship album came out, which is 2001. So... Now people sing it all around the world and it just it takes your breath away, you know, especially when they start singing in their own language. That's when it takes your breath away. So, I mean, I wish I had a, a much more compelling story. I mean, it was, it was pretty simple. It just, it literally fell out of the sky. And I'm grateful. Thank you for sharing that. that I'm not going to forget that. What's next for Michael W. Smith? Uh, what's in, in future for you? I know you've got a heart for for family and for fathers and for yeah, I th- well, a couple things. I think on a non-musical level, um, I think the people that I've got whatever influence I have, I think they need to be fathered. So I think I need to be a father just like Don has been to me. And we got a lot of people in our industry that are doing it well. we got some people who are not doing it well. And they just need to be fathered. You know? So I think, and I'm really completely happy to do that the rest of my life. Uh, will the song still come? Uh, every year I'll go through a drought. And I'm thinking, it's, I say it every year, it's over. It's over. God, thank you. I'm going to go find another job. Every year. <laughs> and, uh, and then I'll walk in the studio and I'll write five songs in 30 minutes, you know. Um, so I'm working on, I've been working on a symphony for 10 years, really. So this big orchestral thing that I, that I really, really actually love. And I think I probably need to finish it. And, and he's going to launch it in South Africa. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so there's that. Um, 
you know, I don't, I don't, I really don't know. I mean, I remember I was talking to a producer, really good friend of mine who's producing U2's record that just came out and a really good friend. And I asked him, this, I kind of asked him what you asked me. What's next? Like, what, what do I do? I don't, I feel like I've done everything a little bit. Like, yeah, got any recommendations? And you know what he, he told me? He says, he said, you, you could just go do whatever you want to do. And you know what he told me? He said, you've graduated. I went, what? He said, Michael, you've graduated. You could go do anything. Go make a poker record. Go to, go to South Africa, make a record, you know, whatever. He was just like, and I'm going, and I don't, I don't, I don't fully agree, but I, I got, I got his point of, man, just basically just, just bro, go sing your songs for the world, which is what I've been doing, you know, cause I feel called to the nations. Do I feel like my best days are ahead? I actually really do. And I feel like the wind is in my back. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how it's going to flush out. And you know what? It's okay that I don't know. And I'm not worried about it. And if I never write another song, I can sit here and go, God, thank you for the songs that you've given me. So you just be grateful, you know? So we'll see what happens once I... I've been so busy. I, I don't write very well on the road because you're so, as you'll see tonight, I spend so much energy. You know, when you go back to the hotel room or you get on planes and stuff, the last, it's just, you just don't have any time. When this tour's over, when there's time to be at the studio, that's when it starts to flow. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the next couple of months.